Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Fine. So, um, I think this is our 13th session of Elchot Avelut. And we are in Siman, Shinpei 380 in Toyo Going over the uh, uh, prohibitions for the Avel. He starts, Elu Dvarim. Those are the prohibitions for the Avel, Melacha, doing work, Rehitza, bathing, Sicha, anointing or applying creams, Ne'ilat Asanda, wearing leather shoes, Tashmisha Mita, sexual relationships. Ve'asur likrot ba-Torah, which we understand as one is allowed to study Torah. Asur bish'ilat shalom, cannot greet people. Um, also for them, I think a little bit different than, than uh, what it is for us today. It was not just a formality. Shilat Shalom was considered a uh, an act in which you invest uh, and and you really pay attention to the other person. We don't do it today. Bichvisa uh, and he cannot wash his clothes. Bechayav ba'atifat arosh. He must uh, wrap his robe around his head up to the nose. Uvichfiat amita kol shiva and also the way that their beds uh, used to be. Um, Something that sits on ropes, then you have to un- undo or untie the uh, the frame and let the uh, the mattress or the bedding, whatever it is, sit on the floor. Asur is not allowed to put tefillin on the first day. Asur begihutz cannot bleach his clothes. Gihutz in in modern Hebrew is ironing, but in uh, the language of halacha or the Mishnah, gihutz is. Uh, to make something really bright, it probably has a um, a Persian root, uh, like giha is a is a great light. So it's bleaching your clothes. And then uh, this bleaching of your garments, which is beyond regular laundry, um, as well as hair, taking a haircut or participating in a joyous event and um, mending the tear that, that he tore for uh, his robes all 30 days. And all these, um, uh, all these uh, prohibitions rely, they found somewhere in the Pasuk to rely on, mainly from Yehezkel, the uh, uh, chapter of Yehezkel that we saw in the beginning of, our, of the series where uh, Hashem tells Yehezkel that his wife is going to die, but he's not going to practice the regular, regular things that people uh, practice during mourning. And then, um, now he breaks it down. Melacha, the Tanya, Avel kol shloshayim arishonim asur bimlacha. There's a baraita that says that Avel all the first three days cannot do melacha. Afilu aniya mitparnes min Even if one relies on uh, charity. But from uh, after the three days, that person is poor and he needs that uh, for sustenance. He could work uh, at home. 
ואישה טובה בפלח בתוך ביתה, a woman can weave or spin wool in her house, פירוש אין מתירין לה אלא מלאכה של צנעה ושל ערי, כגון להיות טובה בפלח בתוך ביתה. They only allow her to do something that is done privately and uh, randomly, not as a professional thing. ואם אינה מספקת בזה, עושה אומנות שלה בצנעה בתוך ביתה, and if this is not enough for her, she could do her work in her home, אבל אמרו חכמים, תבוא מהרה לשכניו שיצריכו לכך. And this phrase is, a, I think it's a key phrase for us to understand. The, and this comes from the Mishnah um, language. The rabbis said, their neighbors, the neighbors of that person should be cursed that they got him to this point. Okay? So, th- this, this, uh, this phrase sheds light on the whole um, on the whole concept of doing work on as an avel the uh when when we think today of uh of work it's um you know we're either employed or employers and uh um we make we make money for a living to cover our you know our our expenses but also we save some money aside and you know we pay the mortgage and uh Uh, maybe invest in something, you know, maybe we make much more than what we need, and, uh, you know, give some away for, uh, uh, you know, tax deduction purposes, whatever it is. So now when we come to this question of not working a whole week, the uh, the impact on our lives might not be the same as it was on the life of someone who lived 2,000 years ago in the time of the Mishnah. Um, because they had to work uh, around the clock just uh, just to get... the 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 bare necessities um even not to two thousand years ago even if you go back a hundred years ago a hundred fifty years ago um people spend six hours a day preparing their food in in most countries uh whether it's milling uh grinding baking uh cleaning harvest whatever they had to do the 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 amenities the uh uh the 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 ease with which we get food today is just un- unbelievable. People in the past didn't have that, uh, didn't have that luxury. So when they speak about melacha, this is the melacha that you do in order to have your daily bread. You go out, you work in the fields, or you go to the market, you sell a couple of things, you buy a couple of things, you buy the bread for the day, and you come back home. If that is the case, right, your neighbors... And we're, we're talking now, we see, of a community that is very close together. It's like a village. It's definitely not America where you could spend you know, 30 years living on a map. I didn't do 30 years in one place, but um, the three years that I lived, for example, uh, in Rockville before I moved to Potomac, both in Maryland, right? I had neighbors, and we spoke maybe once a month. Hi, good morning, how are you? That's it, right? And then after three years, they see the truck and you pay, oh, you're, you're moving? Yeah, we're moving. Okay, good luck. Wow, you know, it's like, uh, we're going to miss you, of course. You're going to miss me. Um, that's not how people used to live in the past. When you had a village that everybody knew about everyone and they knew their needs. So if someone is avil, if someone is in mourning, everybody gets together. They pull together and they bring them food for one week. They could provide for that family. It's, it's another loaf of bread. That's it. The people didn't have... Fancy meals, right? Um, but we, we work differently today. Um, now, 
the tour goes on to say, ואפילו דבר המותר בחול המועד, כגון דבר האבד, אסור לאבל לעשותו. Even uh, the, the kind of work that is allowed on חול המועד, כגון דבר האבד, for example, something that if you don't do it, uh, if you don't do it, uh, it, it, it's going to be uh, uh, irreversible loss. אסור לאבל לעשותו, the avel is not allowed to do it. בין הוא, בין עבדיו ושפחותיו ובניו ובנותיו, אפילו אם גדולים, neither himself or his servants, now we're talking about someone who's more affluent, uh, and he has servants, um, but then again, this is the Mishnah context, they still uh, think uh, theoretically about uh, servants that are owned by the master, so they are an extension of his hand, just as on Shabbat, they're not allowed to work for him. Uh, but if someone is going to sustain losses because he's not working, he can have other people work for him. So hired hands, are okay. So, uh, and then they give here examples of, the tool gives an example of uh, um, agrarian uh, works, whether it's watering the fields or uh, or uh, plowing, uh, whatever it is. Uh, and then he, then he goes on to say, I'm, I'm skipping all these examples, Vim en If there are no other people, if there are uh, he can't hire anyone to do those things. Yaseu uh, Batsmo. There's one opinion that he could do it himself. Uh, and there's a debate uh, here between the poskim. But when we come to, uh, to a question that uh, arise today, we can always follow the uh, the rule of thumb, which is You always go with the more lenient opinion. Because remember, the idea is to facilitate for the Avel the time of mourning and not to make him suffer. So if people come and ask a question, can I do this type of work or this type of work, first find out whether they want to work or they don't want to work. Uh, if it's easier for them not to work, say, so yeah, you don't have to work. And then you have to find out whether they're obligated to work. Is, is not working going to complicate for them their relationships in the workplace, right? So if, unless there is an understanding in the workplace of why they have to do that, uh, it's better to tell them to avoid conflict if that is going to risk their uh, position there uh, in the long run. So all these things have to be done with a lot of uh, um, understanding, you know, talk to the person, see where he or she is in life and how not working is going to impact them. Um, and the flip side of it is that if there's someone who doesn't care at all and goes to work, you, know, you, could, tell him, you could tell them this is, maybe this is not the appropriate thing to do. But if they don't care and they don't want to show... Any kind of uh, of of grief for the uh, for the person who passed away, no matter what we do, uh, is not going to uh, to uh, to change their minds. So we factor all these things in, where the, what the individual does, what the custom is, how the community feels about that. Um, then uh, later, then the tool goes on to talk about pragmatia, which is commerce, which is different than melacha. Melacha is craftsmanship. Pragmatia is uh, is commerce. Uh, so they, the the poskim Ramban and others go into details between uh, whether you're doing it to to make a profit or to not lose. Um, but as I said, with all these things, we're going with the with the halacha of the mekel. I conclude with the Rabbeinu Yitzchak Hazaken says, "Katav kevan she Rabbeinu Tamaya Matir ve Rabbim Nogim Boiter." 
and Beadileso, Vamahmir Tavala Vachai says, Do you have opinions who say that it's okay to conduct commerce uh, to prevent losses? And there, because most people do it, I cannot prevent it. So uh, today, for many people, it could be an easy solution because they could telework uh, or telecommute, whatever they call it. So people could work from home in many cases. If this is an option for the Havel, that would be an ideal, uh, ideal option to uh, to have hours for for uh, reception where people come and and uh, uh, and uh, offer condolences and then a couple of hours where they can do their work um, and the uh, the uh, the tool causes father the wash which is interesting um, um, information Adonai Avi Arosh Zal Katav BeAshkenaz Hayare Devar Hashem it says in Germany, the uh, and, and the, the Rosh has to uh, note that it's in Germany because uh, he fled Germany and settled in Spain in uh, the mid-1300s. Um, so the Rosh says that in Germany, those who are Yerei uh, Hashem, like devout people or you know reverent people, they don't lend money with interest to non-Jews on Holomite. You know that Jews in Europe um, were uh, sort of forced to uh, to deal with uh, to become money lenders. It's in, it's it's uh, it's ironic, not ironic. It's sad that uh, because of that we were giving that image of uh, you know Shylock. And in the uh, the greedy Jew, etc. But the reason that Jews uh, did that is that they were not allowed to to belong to any of the other um, classes in in medieval Europe. Uh, medieval Europe, we're talking about the um, the feudal system, where you have the uh, the the knights, the nobility, the uh, the merchants, the um, uh, the warriors and the farmers, and of course the Christian clergy, and Jews were not allowed to be any of those. They could not be warriors. They couldn't be farmers. The only thing they had was small commerce and uh, money lending, which the church completely forbade. So, um, so from the what the Rosh says, we see that we have the portrait of non-Jews coming to the uh, coming to Jews' uh, homes every day. To uh, to ask for loans, including on Holamoid. So some he says some people on Holamoid didn't want to do that because this is like conducting business. So the the Rosh Rabbi Nosher says I allowed to uh, I allowed my uh, my household members to continue lending to our regular customers because. If I don't lend them, if I don't give them the loan today, they will find somewhere else, and then they wouldn't come back uh, to me. That the the Rosh already, uh, you know, speaks about something that's very important today in uh, in marketing and and, uh, and customer relationships, which is uh, customer loyalty. All the all the companies work so hard on switching customers' loyalty from one store to another, and the Rosh says this is a factor that you have to take into account. So it's interesting. It's not something that the, the Talmud, the Talmud, or the Mishnah uh, spoke about when thinking about the Navel, because they are more an agrarian society 
than a commercial society, the Rosh already thinks about that. So this is something else that you have to have in mind when, when one asks uh, whether he can or cannot do it uh, during Avelut. Um, or another example that the Gonim speak of, Im Avel, uh, oh sorry, here, Im Asik Zuzei Be'ine Shacharine Ve'ha'idana Mashkahlu Ve'ta'achilo Mashkahlu Sharei Le'shidore Alayu If someone owes you money, and you know that that person happens to be in town, but tomorrow is leaving, you take care of it now. So, and based on that, the Gonim rule that if one has a, a, a litigation with another person, but, uh, so he cannot do it during the Avelu, during the morning, but if that person is going to leave, uh, or j- he just has a, uh, an opportunity to get his witnesses now, he, he does it right away. So all these examples that I bring brought in Sima Shinpei, about renting, uh, working for other people, hired hands, there are a lot of uh, examples uh, that the, the tool uh, brings here. And as I said before, for us, for, for you, when uh, you are asked a question or when it deals uh, with your own business, the, um, you have to factor all these things in. What is the immediate damage? What is the accumulative the cumulative damage? Um, how is it going to impact your clients, your employees or employers? Um, and also what the community is going to say. And of course, how you feel about it. Um, and if needed, you do it more in, uh, in, uh, in uh, discretion and privacy. Uh, okay, Siman Shinpei out of 381, speaking about washing. So there are a lot of details about which I don't want to go into all the details uh, that the the, uh, the tool brings here, according to the Mishnah, for a very simple reason, uh, which I mentioned before. Our uh, life conditions have changed completely. Back in the day, people used to used to uh, to wash uh, once a week. Rabbi Danasi said, "I have to wash every day." He was the president, the prince, and he was very. Uh, um, Pampered or delicate, and he, I, I, I take a bath every day. Uh, but they say not, not anyone can do that. Um, but the uh, um, the tool brings an interesting statement from the Yerushalmi. There was a, there were places where people would wash after the burial, and the Ramban comments here. Nira ha'avel. The uh, the relatives who take care of the avel to eat the first meal would also make sure that he takes a bath, because you know he was agitated. Who knows? He maybe back in the day spent a couple of days without getting you know having time to uh, to take a bath because he's uh, he's busy working, uh, even even physically with the burial. So they first before the shiva starts, he takes a bath. Um, Today, um, and then, um, and I mentioned that Rabbi Yitzhak Abadi rules so in his, uh, in his shoot, Or uh, Yitzhak, and I think that is the, that should be the halacha, when people ask, they should wash, they should take a bath or a shower, the way they do regularly, but with a little less luxury, um, and if they feel uncomfortable with doing that, then, then they shouldn't do it, but if they feel uncomfortable with not taking a shower, they definitely should uh, have a shower. Siman uh, <clears throat> Shin Pei Bet uh, in 382, he speaks about wearing leather shoes. 
אז אבל אסור בנעילת סנדל, ודווקא בשל עור, just like יום כיפור, it's only uh, leather shoes, the, today we have very comfortable shoes, they are not leather, but still, uh, real genuine leather is still considered a uh, sort of a status symbol, especially from if it's a designer shoe, so we could still say that uh, if you don't wear it, you show the avelut, but remember that um, uh, that we, we, we saw previously that people used to go, go to shul with, to the shul, sorry, to the cemetery with regular shoes and then uh, change after the funeral. Um, and the, the two quotes here, Riba Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda Hasid, this is one of the, what we say by Yehuda, Lelech Yehaif Lebet HaKvarot Velachzor Kshemet Haimo The, uh, there were those who said that you go barefoot or with non-leather sandals to the um, <coughs> to the cemetery, but the Rosh, Rabbeinu Asher, doesn't accept that. So, to each his own. Most people today, because we have comfortable shoes that are not leather, they wear them already before um, before they go to the cemetery. Siman Shin Pei Gimel, 383. A mourner cannot uh, have... Conjugal relationships. Tanya ba'avela abati, ma'ase be'achat she'shemesh mitato b'imei evlo, v'shomtu hazirim etgviato. That's a scary story, but typical to halachot um, that maybe were not so uh, popular, so they had to be reinforced with some kind of threat. So this story is of someone who uh, had sexual relationships while he was a mourner, and when he died, pigs uh, dragged his body out of the ground. So it's a word of warning. If anyone in any of your congregants asks you uh, about that, you say, you know, don't, let the, don't give the pigs something to do after you die. You know, just, just wait seven days. Um, but... That is the, uh, um, like I said, I mentioned before, the, the emphasis is on the avel, on, on the man and not on the woman. Um, I think that this is uh, um, sort of one of the things that is, uh, is really naturally understood and understandable that one does not want to do that. Um, and so and it's only about um, physical relationship they can sleep, you know, in the same bed. Um, I'm not going to go into all the details here. Um, those are not the things that people usually ask. Um, I'm trying to really recall, I think in the 30 years that I was working, you know, in different capacities, I don't think that anyone ever asked me about that. Um, so if people have doubts about it, they, they don't bring it up to the rabbi. Um, so, okay, so this is, the, this is the text that we had already in Safaria. We're done with that. So I'm going to go, switch the screen now to the Shohan Aruch. Let's go now to, uh, to the next Siman, Siman Shin Pei Dalet. Let's see if this is the one we want. Uh, yes. Okay, so Simashin Beidale speaks about, um, and I went to Shohan Aruch 
just the, the brief halachot, uh, speaks about learning, uh, learning Torah. So, Avel kol shivayamim asur likrot ba Torah, nevim uktuvim mishna, gemara, halachot v'agadot. The old seven days, the Avel cannot read Torah, nevim, ktuvim, uh, the whole Tanakh, mishna, gemara, which is the commentary on the mishna, halachot v'agadot. Uh, laws, I mean, halachot that are written as clear cut halacha, v'agadot, vim rabim, tzrichim lorit lamed mutar. And if he is needed, people need to learn from him, it's allowed. Uh, as long as he, uh, okay, that we don't have that today, um, then he doesn't use someone who conveys uh, the, uh, who broadcasts his words to the people. They used to have a, a, a person who was like the megaphone. He was uh, uh, repeating the, uh, the class to the people. So they say that they have to add another intermediary. But we don't have this today. And we don't have also um, the, uh, I think the same, uh, the same idea of reading or enter, uh, the halakha the, 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 the forbids here. Because when we're going back to the time of the Mishnah, when they said this is what you have, but you're not allowed to read it on during the Avelut, this is this was your library. People didn't have other books at home. If you had anything that you could read, it was your Jewish library. Um, the one the one library from Mishnaic times that sort of got into our hands is the the library, the sectarian libraries of the people who lived in Qumran, who broke away from the Jew, uh, the Jews who lived in uh, in Yerushalayim and went to live in the desert. They put their scrolls in uh, clay jars and uh, in they put them in caves, so it, uh, and where the air is very dry. So even when the community was uh, was obliterated by the Romans during the Great Revolt, the uh, those scrolls survived. So in a way, they give us they give us a glimpse into the library of uh, of Jews of the first second century. And that library is mainly religious. It's it's Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, Mishnah, like the Sehir, the Halachot, in that case, Sektarian Halachot. Uh, people didn't read other, there was no other material to read. Uh, there were, uh, there were there was Greek literature, but uh, that was considered forbidden. They, uh, about uh, Elisha ben Avuya, who was a heretic, they say, Ayu Sifrei Homeros, Noshrim Hekod. When he would go, when he would come into the Beta Midrash, uh, scrolls of the of the writings of Homer would uh, fall of his of his uh, lap or pockets. So this is an this is an exception. And uh, beyond that, people had maybe uh, Megillot uh, scrolls of their own family lineage, etc. But you didn't have you didn't go walk to walk to, over to your library and pull out a book and sit and read. So the only uh, the Talmud Torah is both learning and, in a way, entertainment. So it's religious entertainment, but this is this is the the pastime that uh, helps you calm down. So now, and you know, fast forward to our days, what happens? You tell the Avel you cannot read, and I, that that actually I had many um, many questions that was were referred to me on that. People said, "What can I read? What can I do? I'm I'm going crazy, right?" Um, so people are really observant and they feel that this is the time for them to look for some comfort from some solace in the Torah, in the Tanakh, in the in religious writings, and they say, I can't read that. 
and then they turn to uh, to other literature, magazines, or reading books, and they say, "I don't feel comfortable reading that either." So their their uh, suffering is exacerbated. They shouldn't really go through that in in Avelut. Meanwhile, other people who are not observant, not that observant, and maybe that that would have been for them the right time to connect to the wisdom of Judaism by reading um, whatever it is, Torah, Tanakh, are being told, no, you can't read that. So what are they going to do? They, they watch TV during the day or read papers? or um, So we have to take it again with a the, with the grain of salt and think what, uh, what is the impact of, our, of this halacha today. We want the Avel to be uh, not, not to engage in cheap entertainment, not to be distracted, but to do something that is beneficial for him, for her, for the family. So that is something that you have to assess. If someone uh, says, I, I want to read the uh, philosophical work of Rav Saadia Gon, I feel that this will, will elevate me. Yes, by all means, go ahead and do it. Um, but if one, you know, people insist on uh, uh, reading only uh, what is uh, prescribed for the for the Avel, it's here in Saif Dalet. Avel mutar likrot be'iyov uv'kinot u'b'dvarim ha'raim she'b'yirmiyah u'v'ilchot avelut. The Avel could only read the book of Job, the book of Lamentations, the uh, the uh, rebuke prophecies in Jeremiah and the laws of Avelut, the laws of mourning. I don't think that this could apply to us today. Uh, I think we understand that uh, there is time for grief and time for uh, uh, for also searching for answers. So one should balance uh, the learning. I mean, if you deal with people who really want to learn, this is this is I think what you should tell them. Like they have to uh, balance uh, and and decide what what to do, what not to do. But um, in a funny way. Everybody does learn Torah, you know, that based on the halacha that we saw already in the two, where the Hazana Knesset tells the Hacham, you know, Daber, say a couple of words. So today we have that in, uh, this became a practice in many, uh, many uh, mourners' uh, homes where the rabbi or one of the congregants who are there present um, says a halacha or a mishnah. And, um, I've been in many situations like that. Either I spoke or I heard other people speaking. And um, unfortunately, there's no, um, there's no quality check of uh, making sure, like, what is that person going to say? Sometimes they, they just pick a Mishnah that is completely unrelated and say, let's go through it. Um, and I, I've been in, in, in a situation where Rabbi started talking about one thing and just started rambling and, you know segueing from one place to, to another, one has to be very focused and think when you say Dvar Torah, it's, we're not saying Dvar Torah just to uh, um, punch a card to say, okay, what do we have to do in the morning's house? We have to pray, we have to give charity, we have to say Dvar Torah, we have to say a couple of brachot, and we have to say Hamakom Inahem this, this is not how it works. The way it works is we, we, we ask, what can we do in this house to help the mourners have the best experience they have in terms of us supporting them in their process of, of grieving and helping them elevate uh, their spirit, uh, be encouraged, learn something new that, that could uh, 
um, could be applied to their lives. Remember the person who passed away with a with a positive uh, with a positive message. So all these things have to be taken into account when uh, when we speak about uh, uh, learning Torah during Avelut. Siman shin peyhei din she'elat shalom be'avel greeting that is also uh, that depends on the customs of the community and you have to know who is the person who is in front of you if you are in a firm community for example and everybody knows that you don't greet a mourner everybody comes in they don't say hi they just sit aside fine if someone comes in who does not who is not familiar with those customs and he says hi and you ignore him that's not right you could say hi you know you don't even i saw people saying oh you know to that person we're not supposed to greet during Avelut. That's embarrassing. If that person is, is, is not at the level of observance of others and you say to him in front of everyone, uh, that is not right. If, on the other hand, maybe that's how you can instruct people, uh, you, you respond not with the same enthusiasm as usually and then you find the time to talk to this person privately and say, I'm sorry... If I didn't answer your greeting uh, it, politely enough before, it's because of this and that, and it's a symbolic thing that we do during Avelut. I think that will give that person a better understanding of what we're doing and, 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 and respect towards that. So that is always something that we have to take into account. It's kavodabliot, how the other person uh, is going to feel about that. Makom uh, shenagu, I want to look into that because that is a, yeah, um, an important uh, halacha that I was surprised when I saw the, the custom in Samashkenazi synagogue. Tell me if that uh, if you're familiar with it. Uh, it says, In some places, they greet the mourners on Shabbat as uh, as usual, and so meaning they don't treat them as as uh, mourners. The Rambam the, the Avel can greet everyone on Shabbat regularly because this is done publicly. So what the Rambam is referring to here is the idea that uh, on Shabbat we do not practice uh, Avelut, we do not practice mourning publicly. Rather, um, it is only, only in private. And um, therefore... In the synagogue, there are, there are some customs that regarding uh, what one does uh, uh, in the synagogue is uh, some people have the custom of sitting somewhere else and some don't do it on Shabbat because this is considered public display of Avalut on Shabbat. In, uh, in some uh, synagogues, I've seen that in the Syrian community, the Avel sits somewhere else, but then every, uh, all other congregants go and sit next to him. They take turns. Um, so, in a way, everybody greets him. Uh, and what I've seen in Ashkenazi synagogues on Friday nights, the Avelim wait outside until after Kabbalah Shabbat, and then they are being welcomed in. Uh, and so I respect this custom, but I feel uncomfortable with it because I think that uh, uh, the Avelim Shabbat already started. We're bringing Shabbat in, and at that very, the very important moment of bringing Shabbat in, its calmness, its its pleasure, uh, 
we should really have the avalim with us and not publicly display their avalim. We could go to them after tefillah and say and say something, but uh, um, it, we know the minagim have their roots in in, uh, um, in your own synagogue. If you feel that this is the right thing to do, then you follow it. If uh, if people want to to talk about and reach an agreement that maybe we should uh, maybe we should do it differently because we don't display avalut on Shabbat. Uh, that's also fair, um, but uh, I, I'm just saying. I myself, I was surprised about this minhag. I'm usually very uh, uh, receptive to uh, to different minhagim, um, regardless of where they come from. But that I felt is a little bit uh, uh, too much. Anyway, in uh, we move on to Siman Shin Peivav three eighty six. Here is an example of something that we don't do today. Atifata Avel. Um, the Avel Hayav Batifat Arosh Hainu Shechaser Oshu Betalitu Fsudar Vehazir Ktsato Alpi Val Rosh Hotem. So Avel uh, must wrap his head, meaning cover his head with a with a shawl or with a with a with a sweater, or robe, and uh, wrap it around his face like a scarf. Up to the tip of of the nose, uh, and that is during the day. But when people comes to come to comfort him, he could uh, un- uncover his head. I think that the the commentary of the Haga of, of of the Rama is interesting about the Ashkenazi custom. That's the name of the Hagod Maimoni, the commentary on Rambam written by a disciple of Maram of Rotenburg. So he says, in these countries, meaning in Europe, in Germany, we don't do that. And that is the widespread minhag. And you can't force people to change what our forefathers didn't do. Um, and uh, I'm saying that's interesting. I, mean, I agree with I agree with the God Maimoni. The, the, there was no reason for people who lived in Germany to do it because... That was not the style of dress in in Germany. There was a there was a, a a dress code that still today you can find in some place in the Middle East and in uh, Africa, uh, but not in uh, not in uh, European lands. But this idea of we cannot be strict and force people to change what was not customary for our forefathers. You ask this question, but the forefathers of your forefathers. Right, did something different. How did your forefathers change it? And that is that is something that we have to have in mind with all minhagim, and it's a question that comes up uh, quite often. Uh, people say, "Can I change my minhag?" You know, um, the most uh, the most common uh, uh, example is before Pesach. All my Ashkenazi friends say, "Can we can we become?" Uh, Safari just for you know for seven days or eight days for Pesach so we could re- eat rice. Say so, no, you can eat rice. You know, regardless, you can eat rice as an Ashkenazi because you, this is a. I mean, I wrote about that in length because it's a it's a, a touchy issue for a lot of people. But it goes both ways. For me, if I want to wait three hours between meat and dairy, it's fine. Maybe I'm not, I don't do it on a regular basis, but it's fine to do that because that minhag exists. Any minhag that you are familiar with today was different 100, 300, 500, 1,000 years ago, right? So someone changed it. At a certain point, someone said, I don't want to do what my father did. 
So you're, we are entitled to do to say, I don't want to do what my father did, not because I rebel against what my, fa- what my, what my father did. I, re- I greatly respect my father, my grandfather, and our tradition, right? But if there are certain minhagim that complicate my life, and I know that other people had the minhagim that are on the same issue, can make my life easier, and I connected them more, why not? It's not, a, it's not etched in stone, and... Uh, it's the to the contrary. I'm sure you know that a lot for a lot of people, uh, the minhag is much more powerful than halacha. The you know what what is given is halacha or Torah aruch. People could uh, sometimes could care less. But if it's a minhag, God forbid, you know the. Uh, uh, so one one rabbi said as a joke. He said, "I wish the 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 aruch would write." There's a minhag. Some people have the minhag not to embezzle funds, you know, uh, to run their business ethically, not to steal. Then everybody would keep it. Uh, unfortunately, it's not written. It's it's a halacha. It's not a minhag, so we don't keep it. Okay. So um, go back to the uh, to the uh, to the shulchan aruch. We don't wrap our heads, as I said. Kfiat amita. Also, uh, we don't do today. Why is that? Here, even the shulchan aruch agrees. Says, we don't do that because the the pagans think that it is some kind of sorcery, the way we undo the beds or put them on the ground. That's number one. And also because our beds are not like their beds. So the kfiya turning them over is uh, is not marked. I mean, you, you don't see that it really has to do something to do with Avelut. So an interesting comment. It's uh, um, it's something that has to be recognizable and uh, and the Shohan Aruch says we don't have the same beds as they had and so it doesn't uh, affect us in the same way. So what, what do you do during the day? Um, it says, All day, when he sits and, and receives people, he could only sit on the ground, and the, the people who offer comfort also sit on the ground. <clears throat> I've seen that um, among Syrian Jews from Mexico. Um, they actually... Uh, no, not Syrian, uh, not not Halib, uh, Damascus, the uh, the old generation, uh, the head of the family passed away, I think it was born in the 1905-1910, and his children were sitting on, the, or his brother at least, were sitting on the floor, uh, but it was uncomfortable, of course, they got they had to get up every 10 minutes or so and, and, and walk around and, and move, sit back. Things have changed. People... Uh, Again, two thousand years ago, people were more athletic than uh, than we are today because their work required that they would get up and down a hundred times a day. Um, you know, some uh, I read in a book that promotes the uh, paleo diet, which and, and also the paleo lifestyle. They call the Soda Kadmoni, the the ancient secret. He says that um, our forefathers used to do. You know what they call burpees. Uh, you know, you, you you lounge, crouch, get up, whatever, all these things. They did it 20, 30 times a day every time they had to pick up or get something. So for them sitting on the ground 
was okay. Also sitting, so uh, we don't sit on the ground today, but people sit on low chairs, and I mentioned that before. I think we spoke about that. There's no measurement for the chair. It just has to be, it has to be a little different, a little less comfortable than your regular chair. Um, to me, uh, in my opinion, the, uh, the standard chairs that are being supplied by Mitaskim, they are very nice. The, uh, there, is a, there's a, there are different charity uh, or non-for-profit organizations. One in New York is called Miss Askim. Um, those who take care of the needs of the, of the mourners, uh, who provide, they provide chairs for the house of mourners. And that's a, that's a wonderful thing. But I think that, that the, the, the chair should be only for the, for the visitors. But for the mourners, uh, they should not bring those standard chairs from the outside, but rather uh, use the, whatever they have at home and sit a little differently. This is the, uh, the marker of Avelut, that you're still at home, you're still in your environment, but you sit a little differently, a little less comfortably. And um, uh, a word of caution here, in many cases, uh, when you go to the Beta Avel, to, to a mourner's house, you will see elderly people, um, sometimes younger people, who have difficulty sitting on a regular chair. They had a surgery, uh, they have back pain. Um, you have to tell them that not only they're not, they don't have to sit on a lower chair, maybe they're not even allowed to do that. They're not allowed to cause damage to themselves. They have to, to find, uh, they are not, uh, they don't fall under this category of having to sit on um, a lower chair. Avel be'om rishon, okay, so we go back. Shohan Aruv, next halacha, next saif shim pehet. Avel be'om rishon asur laniyah tefillin. What people do today, most avelim um, put tefillin after the burial, if they have time, um, they don't see it as a prohibition uh, because the, the, the prohibition is the, our, because of our inability to have kavana. And today, because we're honest, we know that most days we don't have the proper kavana. So to claim that now I'm distracted and I cannot uh, have the, the, the kavana, uh, to put the fill in is a little too much. But if one wants not to put the fill in, definitely um, he's, he's exempt and he could not can pass the day without uh, putting tefillin. Um, kvisa, now he goes uh, more in detail into kvisa, uh, washing the clothes, and here also I mentioned before, whatever you, uh, whatever is your, your practice, people change certain things every day, certain things every other day, whatever it is that you do, you can have it, but lower, uh, you know, diminish a little bit the level of luxury. Um, if you have a choice between uh, a shirt that you wore yesterday and a shirt that isn't just crisp, you know, from the cleaners, and one that is in its package, you know which one you're going to wear um, during shiva. Um, but uh, uh, undergarments, one definitely should uh, should change regularly. Again, this is not something that they used to have uh, back in the day. Here we come to the most visible and most, uh, I think one of the most problematic things for people, and that is shaving and, uh, and taking a haircut. So, uh, 
says not only your head or your beard, but any uh, any hair in the body, all 30 days. Um, now, all hair in the body, uh, that is... Um, uh, that's not that's not part of the uh, the the halacha the halacha the original halacha speaks about the sport, which is a haircut and um, as as we mentioned before the uh, people would take a haircut once uh, once a month usually um, maybe trim their beard once a week but um, and therefore the halacha says. That you don't touch your beard for seven days, because after seven days it will show. What do you do today? People shave regularly, right? And uh, already after two days they have uh, um, they have the shade, or you know, they, they, and and they don't look good. I know a couple of friends who decided to grow a beard, and they felt very uncomfortable in the first week because people said, "What happened?" Like did someone die? Said, no, no, no! I'm just growing a beard. Just, uh, so uh, I had one friend actually uh, hid for a couple of days until he had a full beard, so nobody would, uh, you know, he was uh, superstitious. He was afraid that people would think he's in mourning. So uh, when uh, uh, you know people today think about avilut, not everybody is comfortable with letting the beard grow for seven for seven days or for a month. Um, and the halacha here is again uh, take into account the person, the community, the perception, the family, all these things. Uh, if someone is at a job where he has to to look clean, uh, uh, clean shaven, then he's allowed to do that because we understand it as as a requirement of of the uh, of the job. If he could uh, let go for one week, then he should do it, uh, and. 30 days until taking a haircut is not so bad. Um, the, in Seif Dalet, it says, So for all uh, other relatives who passed away, one can take a haircut after 30 days, but when it's for the father and mother, until his friends tell him. Uh, they tell him, okay, it's it's time already to go take a haircut. Um... And uh, the Rama says, "Shiur Gara Yesh Bo Plugta V'Noagim B'Shlosha Chodashim." And and when is the time for your friends to rebuke you? They say that it's three months. So what do you mean? What is the time for your friends to rebuke you? They said uh, the original halacha said until your friends get upset at you. They don't have to be told. Okay, now three. Days. So say three months, right? Uh, and that is our, you know. Part of our uh, our need to define everything. The in the rare places where the halacha gives us something that is not clearly defined, halacha says is ad sheigaru bo haverav, meaning your friend sees you and he says, "Hello, go get a haircut, please. Do me a favor, right? It could be on the thirtieth day, it could be on the thirty-first day. You go and take a haircut, but the the halacha author is." Say no, no. I have to know exactly when. Three months, um, and then some people look at what the Maharil says. Rabbi Yaakov Weil, "Mekomot elen noagim she'en mistaprim al av ve'em kol shnei masar chodesh." Some people wouldn't take a haircut the whole year uh, unless it was necessary because uh, 
it didn't look good. Uh, now, Isha Muteret bin Shiva, she could uh, trim, a woman could trim her hair after seven, and that, uh, um, that is in contradiction to previous authors who says, Kol Mashesh Baish, you see in the, in the commentary, Kol Mashesh Baish, Yesh Baisha, Hutz Mitisporet. Uh, a haircut doesn't apply to women, but for some reason in later halacha they picked it up and 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 they added this uh, as well. So uh, to sum it up, all matters that have to do with personal grooming, people have to uh, assess, and when they are when they ask you, you have to assess their standing in in, in society with the community and what is the appropriate thing to do. All these halachot, remember, are to facilitate for the avel, the avelut, and not to tell him what to do. You can't tell him you're forbidden to take a haircut. It's customary to do or not to do it. Um, we're now in Siman uh, Shint, wait, let's skip Shint Tzadik. No, Shint Tzadik was, 390 was the, the Giluah of Avelut. And here, Shint Tzadik Aleph is Simha. Avel asur besimha. Lefichach lo yikach tinog b'chiko kol shiva shemayabol yidei shok. So uh, uh, the mourner is not allowed to rejoice. Shouldn't uh, hold the baby all seven days because it will make him happy. Uh, and I say, with all due respect, don't go crazy. Uh, we know that it's a hard time. People should not get depressed. Uh, if we have to use that time, the time of Shiva, people come and visit and... and you are in their company, you talk to them, you should not, uh, I think the balance here is between fake joy, that some people try to drag the Avel, the mourner, into a state of mind of being joyous and laughing and telling stories because they're trying to distract him. This is not good. People have to face uh, grief in one way and uh, uh, and, and not try to cover up for it. It, it is there it, it, and it's bearing on them. Um, but to completely put one oneself in a corner where you know you add you um, you push yourself into a state of mind where you can't enjoy anything is not uh, is not good either. Um, now in Saif Bet it says So uh, the uh, for all other relatives, one can go to Beta Mishte to the house of to where there is a party after thirty days, but for a father and mother, he has to wait the whole year. Now, Beta Mishte is a uh, um, literally a, a pub, but when they when the rabbis speak about Beta Mishte, they mean the place where there is a simha, there is a uh, a joyous uh, occasion. Um, and that becomes a problem today. People are invited to bar mitzvahs, to to weddings, uh, and and they don't go. Sometimes they don't feel comfortable not going. Um, again, it's not to each his own. You have to assess the situation. Um, people, uh, li- you know, the the lifestyle of our forefathers was different. Beta mishte was the only form of entertainment they had. Uh, they worked hard all day, all week, rested on Shabbat. When there was a when there was a mishteh, when there was a wedding, 
that was a cause for celebration. Everybody was uh, engulfed in it. They were really, really involved. Um, most weddings that people attend today, unless it's your direct relative's wedding, you go because you want to show, you know, you want to show, uh, uh, you know, you, you want to be polite. You, prefer the, you know, you sit and eat a little bit. You complain about how loud the music is and that you, can, you lost your voice talking over the uh, uh, the band, etc. Um, it's not like you know you get out of there with great joy, and even if you do, ask yourself this question. Ask the people who ask you. Um, they want to go to a concert. I had these questions. People got tickets to a concert, um, and uh, and now and now they have uh, they're in mourning. I had this situation when my mother passed away. I had tickets for a concert a concert in the Hollywood Bowl, and I didn't go. I gave it to someone else. Um, but if maybe if it was six or seven months later, I would have gone. I don't know, but it, to each his own. Ask people, what do you think that your mother or your parent or the the person who passed away, what would they want for you, right? Um, it's a rare opportunity that if that let's say there's a concert, there's a once in a lifetime. I know Bob Dylan is is performing again live, right? You don't want to miss it for the world, and your mother knows how much you love. Bob Dylan, she said, no, I want you to go. I want you to be happy. So um, that's what you should do. Definitely, people could definitely listen to recorded music. It's not a problem. Uh, live music is different. And um, like I said, only in rare occasions. But people should not avoid, as I heard people do, going to restaurants, going out. It's important. They have to get slowly get back into uh, normality, not isolate themselves, because then they will emerge from this year in a completely different state of mind, which is not, not healthy. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Um, I, we will conclude the class here, the show today. We went fast through all these halachot. Um, those are the, uh, the halachot that are relevant today. They're covered in, we did today from 380 to 390 in, uh, in Shohan Aruch, and God willing, we'll continue next week. And I'll stay a couple of minutes um, on, online if you will have questions. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.